the motive cannot be the finance. Sure. It could be the it's the consequence of your actions. Yeah. And once you have that mindset, things kind of fall in place organically. They yeah. really do. I always tell my agents, do it for the best interest of the client. The rest will pay you back. Welcome to the Create Investor Podcast. Podcasts about real estate entrepreneurs, visionaries, and the stories behind the legacies they're creating. I'm your host, Rob Chavez. And on today's episode, I have Oralia Herrera from Chicago. Now, Oralia isn't originally from Chicago. She's from a little town right, right outside of Durango, Mexico. Now, this is the story of how her family came to the U.S. to pursue the American dream. And she met a mentor at a very early age who was essentially her landlord at first. That mentor showed her the power of real estate. Fast forward to today, and Oralia has built an empire comprised of lots of commercial real estate and a brokerage office. This is the story of how this little girl from Mexico found the American dream through real estate and how she's teaching other people to do the same. What's up, Grid Talk? Hey, I'm uh, I'm pumped because today I have Oralia Herrera, right, with me today on Grid Talk. We're in beautiful Miami, and I figured, you know, we just got done with the uh, NARP conference, and I figured, why don't we just have some coffee, right, and talk a little bit about your journey, your story, uh, because I've been fascinating, uh, fascinating, learning all of it. And I've gotten bits and pieces, and I'm and I always have questions, and so I'm like, well, let's let's grab some coffee and just talk. So thanks for coming. I appreciate oh, it. Thank you for the invite. I love yeah. I love the idea of spending some time with you. Uh, I find you very interesting myself, though. <laughs> it's a great time for us to bond and get together and sure. learn a little more about each other. So we're just gonna have coffee like two friends, and we're just gonna talk shop, right? So I'm I'm curious, right? You and I were talking right before this that uh, you're from a little town outside of Durango, Mexico, right? And you came here when you were eight, right? You came to the States when you were eight years old. Yes. And you ended up in, um, uh, in Chicago, right? Correct. So let's, let's kind of start there, right? So how did that come? Because it, like, it sounds like your, your, your family had little businesses in Durango, right? Like you had... Uh, well, tell, well, tell me a little bit about the business. Well, my, my father had a grocery store in town. It was the largest grocery store in town. And now, mind you, it's a small town, so a small grocery store. Really small. Really small, small grocery store. What we did have, um, we had the tortilla factory, what they called the tortilla factory. It was just a machine that made tortillas for all of the town and some of the surrounding towns. So he had the patent for that. And that's the way we made a living in the town. You also supply the uh, petroleum. You know, back in the day, they needed petroleum at the home. And I can say that for the standards of the town, we were considered middle class or upper middle class. I mean, we were hardworking families, so we're always able to provide. But he had a bigger dream for his family, and the American dream. And he came back and forth from the States to Mexico. And one day, he was able to get visas for the whole family. It was that telegram, believe it or not. <laughs> it was not a phone call. We didn't have a phone at the village. It was that telegram saying, hey, Maria, pick up the kids. 
I've sold the grocery store. I've sold everything. We're coming to the state. So meet me at the capital, Durango City, on this date. And before you knew it, my mom had us all ready packed and in Durango. All dressed up. You all dressed up. I was laughing with, you know, she thought that coming to the United States, but obviously our dream, right? The big deal. So she called the seamstress, which happens to be her godmother, and said, I need food for all of the kids and everybody. So she dressed us all. And before you knew it, we were in Durango and in the States. That's awesome. Yeah. What a great story. So, so you end up in Chicago, yes. right? And let's pick up from there because it sounds like, how big is your family, by the way? So it's, I have five siblings okay. and my mother. One, the eldest is already married, so he goes up with his wife. And with five of us, my mother and my father. That's seven of us. Okay. Seven, and you said it was like a little place. And we did. Yes, yeah. it was a tiny, um, in Hilton, we lived in a three-bedroom, in a three-bedroom apartment for seven of us. But my father was not comfortable with the uh, setting at the ambience there for us. He wanted to move up to the suburbs. The only way, nobody was going to take in a seven, <laughs> a family of seven into, into a two-bedroom. But his aunt, his nephew had a building there. We call it a two-unit or three-unit apartment building. Three-unit, yes. Three-unit apartment building. And what he did is he said, listen, Uncle, you can move all of the family into this two-bedroom apartment building until we figure things out. Maybe I can vacate the two up above you and uh, give you a four-bedroom. And that's what we did. He moved us all to the two-bedroom apartment. I remember we had one room for the girls, uh, which was my three sisters. And then my parents, my little sister and I slept in the uh, second bedroom. So that's how it went until we were able to move to a bigger unit. So tell me about that, right? Because you started sharing with me. And then I was like, stop. This is exactly what I want to work. You started sharing with me a little bit about the story. Uh, it sounds like really we're kind of like your business partner might have entered at some point serendipitously, right? Yes. But you were young, right? Yes, I was very young. I remember specifically the day that um, I saw a building burn right across the street from us. That building got rehabbed for beautiful floor, completely burnt, so they rehabbed it completely into a four-bedroom on the first floor, and then two two-bedroom apartments on the second floor. That was our opportunity. My um, my parents went and called the number that was for rent, and. This building was owned by a gentleman named Tom Kostopoulos with a partner, his partner's name was Louie. And I was telling you that I love when TK tells the story. Because That's Tom Kostopoulos? Tom Kostopoulos, okay. I call him TK okay. for short. So when TK tells the story, he says that um, Louie, this area was near, it's near the O'Hare International Airport and a lot of stewardess, a lot of pilots would have, uh, there were even some studios there that they were renting the area and near college. So it was, it was somewhat of a good community. And Louis started uh, interviewing for the tenants and he wanted a professor from Loyola or mm -hmm. somebody from the college. And CK started interviewing himself and it just happened to be that CK got that call with my parents and him and Louis discussed the, uh, the plans of who to give the apartment to. And Louis is a very uh, old-fashioned Italian, clean person, very, very humble, very sweet. And he says, you know what? 
this family that wanted across the street, I you want to give it to them? It's a whole bunch of a couple with a whole bunch of Mexicans with a whole bunch of kids. You want to give it to them? He said, Tom says, well, we could we could see them. They're across the street. Let's go see the way they live. So Louis comes in, and uh, it wasn't even Tom that came in to visit the, the unit where we live, and he was very impressed with my mom's house. He mm-hmm. and the organization and the way she handled all these kids, and she he said, Mom, I went to see the apartment where the other ones live, and I went to see the family you want to give it to, and now I'm convinced that that's done. They're very clean, they're very neat, they're going to not destroy, but nearly rehab building that we have wow so that's how it ended up so we got the four bedroom apartment owned by Stop. and we're amazing i actually got a little goosebumps because like that that one phone call and your mom's housekeeping skills kind of set like a trajectory right you start thinking about like things that occur in your life that are just serendipitous right so so okay keep keep so I became the interpreter for my mom. My father was at work, my older sister were at work, and I was in school. I became almost fluent in six months in English. So I became the official interpreter for the family. Eight, eight years old. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. I became the official interpreter for the family, and every time Pam had a question or they gave her the rent, it would be, you know, me giving it to him or explaining something was wrong. And that relationship stayed for many years. Uh, later in life, um, Sam and Louis decided that they wanted to sell the building. And I think that this is where I got impacted with real estate. Because I remember specifically having this conversation. I even remember where we were. Tom and Louis come to the door and they tell my mother that the building is going to go up for sale that they love us there and that they want us to keep the building. So I'm interpreting for my mother and and my mom says, ask him how much he wants for the building. So he said 105,000, that's what we want. My mother said, tell him, thank you. And said, are you sure? And my mom says, yes, thank you. Louis and Tom walk away and my mom said 105,000. Where am I going to find a hundred and five thousand to buy the building? I barely have twenty in the bank. I barely have twenty thousand in the bank. How am I going to find? So he says, "We'll see." Ironically, somebody in the in the same area buys it, Don Lupe, and we find out through Don Lupe that now we have to vacate the four bedroom apartment building and go to the two two bedrooms upstairs. Upstairs, upstairs, because. He wants us at tenant, right? Like he knows that my mom got flowers in the garden, that it, it's impeccable, and that this building just looks amazing. So we should, he should keep us. And he says, you know, I'll give you the two upstairs, and but I want the bigger unit for me and my family. In speaking with him, we find out that the Lupe buys this building, FHA, with seven thousand dollars, and um, his mortgage payment with our rent. Was going to be less than the rent that we were paying. That changed my way of thinking. Mm-hmm. From that day, I remember I, by that time I'm 1450. I call Tom and I say, Hey, I want to know how this is done. I want to know why 
we weren't told or you know how, how did this happen how does this happen how are you the owner of this property how the Lupa becomes the owner of this property and he says you know how old are you and they go, well he says come come and visit we'll revisit this when you're a little older at the age of 18 i call him again i'm 18 and i'm going to try college at night and he says well take the real estate process if you want to try in college you can continue what are you going for I go, well i want to become a a uh, business person, and I want—I don't even know what I want, but I think highly business administration, international business administration is what I'm going to go for. He says, well, you can do that too, but take the class. I registered for the class, and the first day, the first thing the instructor said was, you need to be 21 years old to get your life. Mm. So there goes that. Yeah, get some coffee. <laughs> It's okay. I got a napkin. I don't have a napkin. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> Fast forward. Um, I continued up on my life. I got married, and on my 21st birthday, I got my license. Mm -hmm. I was managing a small clinic, Nesset Square, Nesset Square, and uh, I had a great relationship with the doctors there. They were growing, they were opening other clinics, and I saw my future as being the uh, director of many clinics, because that's that's how my career started with management. And I thought, this is this is where this is going. But on my 21st birthday, I got my real estate license, and I came to work for Century 21 BK Realty. Mm. Uh, so that was TK's? That was TK's company. company. Yeah, okay. Okay. Century 21 BK was owned, founded, and owned by Tan Costopoulos and Stella Costopoulos, okay. husband one. Wonderful people. Obviously, they've touched my life, and every time I talk about them, I get a little emotional because um, TK and Stella opened a lot of doors for me. I came in and I started working for them, and I was the young girl with the beat up car, all Mercedes is parked in the driveway. <laughs> you know, he had 45 agents, 45, 50 agents, and I was the new little Latina trying to. Make it trying yeah. to make it and yeah. trying to learn from from all of these um, big successful real estate. Um, I took it to heart and I went in there like an opportunity. And if I saw that the uh, that the office needed some cleaning, I would clean the office while I was doing nothing other than learning from TK. TK gave me a big fat pompo, and he says, "This is how you start every day. You come here." It's like a punch clock. This is your job. This is your business, but I'm not going to supervise you. You come in and you call these numbers until you finish the book. Can call today. And he did the first ones with me. Okay. So then he says, you feel more comfortable in Spanish? And he's like, yes. So please, then do them in Spanish. There's plenty of Spanish. Like, look for the Spanish lessons and start calling. And start calling that. And um, I did. I started calling and he made me come to floor time and I did floor time and I did everything TK told me. I had my first sale, he helped me write my first contract and I developed quickly, I would say, with a couple of clients here and there and I helped uh, Edith and Walter Perez were my first clients. And they came from a big factory where I started selling everybody in the factory to the point where the foreman wanted to meet me and says, it's like, 
Who is who is this? What I that everybody is talking about in the lunch room? And you know that I made mistakes with my first the first contract I wrote on my own. I forgot to put in the window treatment, and Edith fell in love with those window treatments. So when I go for my final walkthrough, they're gone. They're gone. So my first commission check went to buy window, window treatments. You did the right thing. Went to buy window treatments because it was my inability to put them there it was my mistake sure so i wanted to get her to the effect i went and asked the agent the listing agent where those window treatments were from she told me they were from daisy penny we went to daisy penny we bought them again and edith had her window treatment so but that that's how i started fast forward three four years still in town we're always vacationing alone he would go to greece for two weeks or stella would go to greece for two weeks and they're Tom, Greek. They're Greek. They're yeah. Greek, right? Stella would go to uh, Greece for two weeks, and then Tom would join for a week. Uh, Stella would go with the kids, and maybe they would overlap a week or so, but no more than that. One of them had to come and take care of the office and the other. And it just started where I was kind of helping them with the office, and for one day he said, hey, we have an event in Greece. There's a wedding. Stella's niece is getting married. We're going to have to be gone, both of us, for 10 days. I'm going to sign a whole bunch of checks, blank checks, and I'm going to teach you how to pay the agent and how to get the office going. You're going to hang out with me for a couple of days. I'm going to bring Mickey O'Malley, who's a retired managing broker. If we need to have a managing broker, she's going to come in and she's going to handle all of the managing of the broker. You're going to handle the pain of the agents, making sure that the office is open, but making sure everything's done. So when he handed me that piece of TK, oh my gosh, I made sure I was there half an hour before TK opened and I was the last one leaving and that the answering machine was put and I took care of it like it was mine. Sure. Right? Sure. Um, I ran out of checks. He <laughs> 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 signed a lot of checks because there was it was the summer and a lot of transactions were happening. So the hour shift and the agent wanted to get paid. And then I remember calling TK and I'm like, for him, it was like four o'clock in the morning. And I didn't understand that the, the time difference. I called him and I said, TK, I have to pay Lori Fishner and I don't have a check. I ran on the checks and there's about three, four more closings coming this week. What am I going to do? So he says, no, work. relax. Study my signature. Go ahead in her room, study my signature, and sign the check. Oh my God. Sign the check. How old are you, by the way? 21. Well, by this time, I was probably 23. 23. Sign the checks. So I did that. I signed the checks. He came back. He said, You did a great job. And that became a frequent. Mm-hmm. I was managing the office, I was helping TK, and uh, we became family. Mm-hmm. You know, they trusted me. I admired and Thank them for every opportunity they gave me. They they introduced me to the commercial real estate, and then they became my mentor. Mm-hmm. I was living in a Stella sent me my first home at the age of eighteen. Okay, I neglected to say that at the age of eighteen I bought my first. The Stella home. is his wife. His wife. Okay. okay, she sold me my first home at the age of eighteen. Okay, eighty-five thousand in Addison. Mm-hmm. And remember, now I knew how the Lupe became a homeowner. That's right. So. You were like, I, uh, I, I can use leverage I, and a mortgage. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And um, my mom had 20000 I had nothing. But my mom had 20000 So if my mom gave me $5,000, I could own it, right? So we made it happen. 
sorry, I went back and forth. But uh, then at that little home, I was selling every home I sold was nicer than the one I lived in. So I went and said to TK, hey, TK, I'm ready to sell my house and go to the next one. Hey, he said, no. We're going to sit down and have a conversation. You're going to have a better home when your residual income pays for the better home. I don't want you to become a slave for more. You're doing good. You're saving money. I'm not sure that you want to jump. You're not there yet. Let's let's talk. So he introduced me to small play level again. And he says, what if you refinance your single family where you're at? Take some capital out and buy a four unit, a three unit. And I said, yes, uh, I want to buy where I started. The first building I buy is going to be in the jungle. That's what they call it. I am a jungle girl, and I my first investment is going to be in the jungle. Okay. I am going back to the jungle. So I did. My first four-unit apartment building, the 3010 Bright. Or and, still remember the... Oh, of course. Okay. Of course. 3010 Bright. And it was a, a four-unit apartment building. It was an estate that needed a lot of work. We did it. My husband and I went. watched. We paid a lot of toilets. We painted a lot of buildings. We carpeted. We did everything. We rented it. And that four-unit gave me a residual income from day one. It was three four hundred dollars, but it was three four hundred dollars from us. Now that it was fixed and I understood the game plan, I went to TK and I said, "Hey, TK." Two years later, the buildings around my area are selling for sixty and seventy thousand more. They said it's time to go higher. Now you trade that core unit for a six unit, closer to the office, closer to home, and that's what we did. I said, no, 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 but wait, I want a house. Uh, I have 70000 on that building, and I have some equity on my single-family home, and I'm not liking my house. Uh, so every home I sell is better than mine again. Said, no, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with your house. You're going to take that money, you're going to trade it for a six-unit. When the six-unit gives you an residual income to pay for a mortgage, then you go to a new one. I'm like, okay, here we go again. I'm still stuck in my little gray house. And we bought a six unit. The six unit cap at eight percent. A few years later, we do not sell the six unit. We refinance. We take the capital out and we buy a twelve unit. Once I bought the twelve unit, there was enough residual income for me to have the nicer home. Because it paid for. The mortgage of the new home? Is that what yes. you wanted to do? Okay, yes. that was the so first the, level. The first level is that you don't work to pay your mortgage. You get residual income for the things you want, right? Okay. So whatever you are working for, I was still being successful. I was still selling home, but that became my saving capital, my investment capital. My It, it was never about bigger, better, right? Sure. You know, we needed to get the foundation of your yeah. business plan. Make sure that we make little steps, but secure baby steps towards the direction I wanted to go. Well, that 12 unit was cash flowing very nicely. By this time, I understand a little more, and I realize that I am on an unincorporated huge lot. Then I can resubdivide this lot 
into two different parcels and built, built brand new. So that's exactly what I did. That's my phone, but ignore it. I don't know where it is. Okay. Okay. So that's exactly what I did. And I made the legal description, Herrera's resubdivision of Latin one and two. How did you find that? Did it come to you from just, just doing the business and no. or you saw it? Or, no. It, everything starts with us seeing what TK and Stella do. And when I was ready to go, that conversation in the morning that I said, I'm ready to go buy a bigger home. He was resubdividing some parcels for a builder. And he was looking at that. And I saw him, what he was doing, he was like, and then I said, TK, I can do the same. I can resubdivide my lot and have two lots. It's a big lot. And he says, yes, but then you have to annex. You're unincorporated. You can annex into the village of Addison. And yes, maybe you'll have to go in front of the board and see. And I did. TK helped me go in front of the board. We resubdivided and we built a 2,800 square foot uh, white brick home. Okay. Okay. <laughs> was that your home? That was my home. Okay. That was my home. Was this uh, off the 12 unit building? Was that the law? That was it. That was no. That was different. a single, the first little home. Remember my $85,000 yeah. single family home? Oh, that had the law. That had a big lot that I subdivided. Oh, wow. So one of the lots had the gray little homes for the 85000 So that $85,000 investment gave me the great house with the single family that could become a rental property. I could sell it. I could do whatever with this one. And now I have a vacant lot that I can build on. And that's exactly what I did. I built a 2,800 square foot home there, and I lived there for 11 years until I built my next. In between, I kept growing, I kept leveraging and buying more investments. We started with 12 units, and at one point, we had about 120 doors. Wow. Yes. All my, all my multi-units. Um, were you, were you, uh, and when you say we, was it you, and was it you, or you and your husband? Me and okay. my husband. Okay. I, me and my husband. So there's no partners? At that anything. time, there were no partners. Okay. No partners at all. But meanwhile, I'm still learning from TK. And you're still hustling as an agent. And I'm still hustling yeah, as an agent. And yeah. my husband's still working for Cranston Builders, and he's managing those pro those properties. Oh, so he he was from the he he went he was on the building side. Or he, he, was, ma he was managing. Okay. He was managing Cranston Builders. He was managing a commercial property. Okay. He was managing commercial property. He was the only employee in Illinois. Cranston uh, Builders were out of uh, New Jersey. And then they had uh, their office in Ohio. And Reggie was getting to see all the office buildings, all of the commercial uh, aspect of it. And I was seeing the residential at that time. And he was not a real estate agent. He was an employee of Cranston Builders. Okay. Meanwhile, I'm seeing TK putting partnerships together. And him and a couple of Greek friends that grab coffee in the morning are discussing blueprints and numbers on a... $30 million shopping center on a $20 million shopping center and how they're going to buy this one. And if they put a partnership of five of them or six of them, or eight of them, they bring the money together and then they buy it and they're doing caps and partnerships agreements. And I'm like, wow, that's impressive. But TK's at a different scale, right? I can continue doing what I'm doing and I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable not having up residual income where Everything's paying for itself. Uh, I'm comfortable living. I'm not 
paying my mortgage. And for me, since the age of 25, let's say, I never paid for a mortgage, I tell myself, because my tenants did, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. My The income from from my tenants wow. and my residual income were paying my mortgage. So whatever I produced was investment capital worth, growing capital worth. My husband and I putting together and brainstorming how can we pick up another 12th unit worth from people from here. One morning, I come into TK and he says, uh, hey, do you want to go in on this shopping center? And he tells me the number. That shopping center said, no. No, I, 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 I can't. Just don't answer me now. Think about it. It's this many of us. And you can come in if you want. Uh, no. I went home and told Reggie about it, my husband. I didn't sleep that night thinking, what if that whole shopping center becomes vacant? What if they have more of a cushion? The number, the million number, just, he went, I'm like, no, I can't. So I came back the next morning and I said, DK, thank you, but no thank you. I'm just not there. But you've inspired me, I said. I will get there one day. I'm just not there now. I remember specifically what he said. He said, you're there financially. You're just not there financially. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> it happened to me. I just goosebumps. This is amazing. Yes. What an amazing mentor. Yes. He okay. said, you're there financially. You're just not there mentally. It's okay. You're not in. You're not in. They'll be up. We kept working at it, and shortly soon after, I put my own partnership with two of us, and we buy an 11,000 square foot small small retail. But then, uh, we came in with half a million each, I think, to the table, and it was capping beautifully. It was doing great. And then what happens? 208 comes in. And the market crashes. Oh, 2008. 2008. Okay, it comes in and crashes. Okay. And the market crashes. Let, let me ask you a question. Was the 500000 could you refi anything to do it? Or was it no, just cash no, that no. you had? No. For the, for the 500000 we had about 200000 And the three hundred came from the equity we had on our home. By this mm-hmm. time, in between this, I had built a 5,000 square foot home. Got it. I sold I brought my mom to live with me. My kids were growing, and I wanted to be in a specific school district. Okay. So I, I had that conversation with DK, and I said, DK, I'm going to build again. I have X amount of equity on the home I built. Like, you got to think about it. I had a free lot, and I general my own 2800 square foot, so I had plenty of equity on that one, where I went into another work with a comfortable mortgage payment again. And again, that mortgage payment was not coming out of my sale. It was the, being paid by this time we had the hundred doors. So it was being paid by, by the uh, by the real estate. Can I ask you a question? Yes. The hundred doors, what kind of cash flow is that producing at the time? Because I know that owning multifamily costs a lot, right? Your operating costs on that can be quite expensive. So we always looked at a, at least a six to an eight cap. I never invested. We had one that was getting at 10%. Wow. It was Reggie's ugly duckling, I called it. 
I was embarrassed to say that that one was mine. Okay. And every time we had this conversation about green oaks, he would say, hey, you can call it whatever you want. Look at your Hinsdale property, yeah. an echo, and you have elite tenants and elite expenses, and you're capping at seven, six or 7%. My green oaks in Edison is capping at 10%. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's a little rough. Yes, maybe it's not kept as nicely. My lawns are being played on and it's not majestic. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, my green oaks, he called it, it was both of us, but he sure. managed some of sure. the manic. My green oaks, my not so elite, pays for the repairs of your echo when it needs it, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you have to think of what makes financial sense. Not fall in love with the property. But what really is going to sure. give you more more gains. Yeah, more cash flow. More cash flow. Yeah. And that's what we did. So my echo had less capital. The other two other three that we had the 12 units were making more financial sense. I didn't want to get rid of my baby. Echo was beautiful. It was, it was, gorgeous. It was like sale. a jewel. It was like yeah. a jewel. I mean, I could, the ego, yeah, the, yeah. El ego of I own in Hinsdale. Like, Moralia uh, has an 18 unit in Hinsdale. You know, that, that, that. It was the wrong thing. So when we sat down and did the numbers, the first one to go was Echo. Was this in 2008? This was before. We bought oh, it in 2005. Uh, got it. We bought it. So we sold Echo to buy the shopping center. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. And we first took a line of credit. Right, we took right. a step. Let's go back. Yeah. We took a line of credit on Echo for 300000 so we had a 300,000 refi or line of credit on Echo to be able to buy a 200,000 that we had sitting at the bank yep. to buy the uh, strip, the three million strip shopping center. Bank financial gave me that. So that was a $3 million purchase. That was a $3 million okay. purchase. So that was now, now you were like, now you'd gotten there mentally. Now, yes. no, because Tom's numbers were in the oh, 20s. Okay, got it. You got know, it. so I'm starting from, I'm still thinking, Short-sighted. I'm still thinking, no, no, no. Three million is not thirty million. Well, it would have taken the same effort. Think about it. You buy a twenty million dollar property. I would have gone in with the same five hundred thousand. So the same investment with his partnership. It took the same effort for me to own a three million dollar property, and then for TK to own. A twenty million dollar profit. Got it. Got it. It was, and it gets better. It was four partners. So it spreads of this. So it spreads of this. It was four partners, and then I started doing my numbers on that whole time. Four partners. CK was the listed and selling agent of that property. So he took two hundred and fifty thousand income from the sale and listing to be able to have. And that's how he became partners with a lot of these big yep. buildings. Yep. He was buying them, putting in his commission, and maybe a little bit out of pocket, and, and then he was moving on to the next one. Yes, he catered more than all of the partners. And that's where I call the agent. You have to be willing to be the managing partner. Yes. To be able to do all of that, because the other partners were just, they were hotel owners, they were restaurant owners, they were banquet hall owners, and they had their business, and they didn't have the knowledge of getting the tenant, of producing the lease, or going after the rents, or making the calls, 
they had monthly meetings. I could see them all the time, like, you know, or whenever they were discussing financials, they would grab coffee at a restaurant and discuss where they were and what improvements were going to be done. But the everyday operation was time to stop it. And I learned that. I knew that I was, I had to be there for my partner, right? Um, so go back. So you bought this $3 million, like $300,000 equity line, 200000 k for the cash. You bought this $3 million, and then you said 2008 happened. Yes. But, well, let me just tell you back a little bit about my partner in that property. Mm-hmm. So my partner in that property, I had sold him an 18 unit. Mm-hmm. He was a couple, dear friends of mine, uh, outside of the people, sharp investors. Um, they went and... Get the wheels on. He kept saying, Oh, that's a last And he bought a six unit and, oh, buddy, let's go for the 12 unit. So he kept throwing his portfolio at his side and I kept throwing mine. So I went to sell him that $3 million property. I said, You guys are ready for a $3 million September. Let's do it together. So we ventured together. He came in with that million. I came in with that million. And that was me. So that was the story of it. Going forward, I knew that putting a partnership together, had to be with the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2008, we took a step backward. 60% of the shopping center was vacant. And Rigo and Nilsa said, hold on. I don't want, I'm doing just fine with my residential units. They're all producing. My rents are going up. And the retail is not for me. Mm-hmm. So I took over. Oh, shoot. Yeah. So I took over. You had to buy them out? Yeah. I took over the, yes. I took over and I said, I'm good for my word. I took over. I understand that you have to walk out. You walk out. This is what I can do. And I'll go forward from here. So that that led me to sell a couple more buildings, pay down the mortgage, and struggle until that made it function. For existing classes, it's the strip shopping that I'm talking about. It's capping beautifully now. It's probably... I was in retirement, mm-hmm. um, and that just led to opening doors. Then you start diversifying, and you're saying, okay, well, I have a friend that I help grow, and she has the daycare. She's doing phenomenally at the stakes. I want to help her grow into multi-units. No multi-units are not good, but strip shopping center. She could now buy the strip shopping center, put her business there, and rent the other units. And then this is how it evolved. And so you formed a partnership with her? No, I first sold her. Okay. I first sold her. Okay. Sold her her purse. I went and got the in front of the board, got the rezoning done for her, signed her up with the financing, helped her and mentored her. And we did this with many different clients, right? Wow. Because what was given to me, I'm now preaching. To you're, you're passing it on. I'm passing it on. So on my first interview with the client, I plant the seed. It's not always the right time for them. Maybe they're not going to go into a two unit instead of a single family home. But I explained to them that the very first time you buy a multi unit, you can use four units or less. You can live in one for one year and use the income from the others to qualify for more and pay for itself. And then in a year, you can revisit where you are and if you're ready to vote, into a single family house or a townhouse or start from the ground up. And if you do that to enough people, some of them, you plant the seed. Sometimes it takes years for them to come back and say, I'm ready for my two unit or I'm ready now. But that the same logic 
that was taught to me. I talked to all my clients. To everybody. You're a wealth everybody. builder. You're a wealth builder. To you're, everybody. You create legacy and wealth for people. Amazing. To everybody. So there's the Estela Vargas. There's the Samina and Ali Mohammed. There's there's all of my clients mm. that have jumped on this mindset and have started developing their own their own portfolio. I am. Um, I pride myself to say that I have a client with a cousin, Rubensio and Reina Duarte, who just retired in Boca Raton. Mm. They sold their 46 units in Chicago, and they're living the life. <laughs> they, awesome. They're living the life, not only for themselves, but for their kids. They gave a great education for their kids. Prudence you stop working, they not continue working in their home, and they are still connected. They're now buying, we having a $800,000 home in Boca Raton for him to keep himself yeah, you're busy, busy. To keep himself yeah. busy, and he's calling me with questions about it. And when he interviewed the real estate agents, what do I think about this? And I can't have it any other way. Mm-hmm. I tell you what I tell my agents in the office. This is the mindset that TK has. TK is a small boutique with a few agents. But I'm not concerned about growing huge. I'm concerned about them following TK's footsteps and one day creating a legacy for generations. I've seen it firsthand with him. So let's let's bring this up to speed because today, what is your world look like? Right. Okay. Today I can say that if I don't sell a house in a year, or Reggie doesn't sell a house, I can honestly say that our lifestyle does not change. We have enough residual income. We have 20 to 22,000 residual income a month. That's amazing. And if 20 and 22,000 a month residual income, does not satisfy your living your living expenses. I've done something wrong with my life, yeah. right? Yeah. So we have hardly no debt. Yeah. We've we've switched from growing to building equity. We're at a stage in our lives where I think we have two more and everything else is- everything else is owned free and clear. And my hope is that one day uh, I can just focus on what I'm doing, helping others in my office develop and maintaining my lifestyle, maybe retiring. But my next acquisition would probably be a beach destination okay. you know, for a second home. Okay. Um, You're running the office now? I'm running the office. So TK retired. Okay. TK retired and his kids are very well set. He has two attorneys, and the youngest went into the um, grocery store business. He owns a grocery store and a restaurant. He's doing very good. TK still helps them mm-hmm. mentally, and I think more than financially, mentally, sure. he guides them. Okay. Just the way he does with me, Phil. And so I, I took over TK. Um, How big is your office? The office is small. We have 25 acres. Okay. 25 agents. We do an average of 230 transactions 
a year. Okay. Nothing, nothing big. Uh, I'm still the top producer mm-hmm. in the office. Uh, so you, you're now an older producer, right? Yeah. So you're still in the game yeah. selling. Right. Well, what keeps you in the game selling? You know what? Because now you've built this relationship. You have a database of 400 people, and it becomes an addiction for you to help them, guide them. There's no more satisfactions. You can't put a price to what you're doing with these people than the relationships that you created. Helping Sandra maybe create a chain for her for her daycare. Uh, helping somebody else from the ground up start building their portfolio. Do you, what's your percentage of residential versus commercial? I would say that now I have about 70, 30. 70% is still the residential, four units or less, and then my 30 is the commercial. Okay. And it, it sounds like you probably have a lot of people that for people to even say, hey, if you want to build wealth, go talk to Aralia and she'll kind of walk me through the system, the process. Yes. I would imagine indirectly, they're only here for us. So 99.9% of my business is referral. As a matter of fact, I choose to be by referral. Okay. Um, I don't advertise. I've never paid for a lead. Oh, I don't. If you see me, I'm not in the business in social media. Why is boring? They come and they come. Basically, they come and say, I've been told that you're really busy and that you are going to give me your time when you can't. And I'll wait this if I need to, but I want to deal with you. And I have a transaction coordinator and an assistant for my team. That's it. My husband has a don't team. Okay. He's, we both solo. And he produces just as many transactions as I do. Okay. But uh, that's what's worked for me. I think keeping it, um, sometimes I ask the agents in the office to help me with the showing and I give them a referral fee or something to do that. But my client. You're also managing your office. Yeah. It's just Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Good time for a, a coffee. Uh, you know, yours. Are you the managing broker? Yeah. Okay. So you're the managing broker of the office and you handle your own transactions and you're doing the management of all your assets. Well, not really. Okay. The management of our assets, Reggie manages three quarters of it. I manage. The one for I only manage Franciscan Plaza and 622 Iowa. Got it. 622 Iowa is a six-unit apartment building, and that's my baby. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it's again emotional attachment sure. to that one, and then Franciscan Plaza. Those are the two that I manage. Right, manages everything else. Okay, including the office where we're at. In the office, the office that the building where our office is at, it's owned still by TK and us 5050. Oh, very cool. So TK and us, TK. And I own that um, office and a lot behind us and the home behind that lot. Because at one point he wanted to redevelop that whole corner. So interesting. Um, and you said TK is in his 80s now? Is yes. Yes. Right? yes. Okay. Early 80s. And he still loves playing the game, right? But he's like, I guess, retired? Yes. TK is retired. TK is yeah. retired. For TK, retirement means 
getting up in the morning, grabbing coffee with his friends and partners, and then driving by all of his property, and then coming home, reading a book, uh, hanging out with Stella or the grandkids, and then maybe making an afternoon round to the grocery store or the restaurant, and then just hearing great music. That's what <laughs> he travels a lot before yeah. pandemic. He uh, he travels all over the world, and he does a lot of beautiful things. He does charity. He does mentoring at, at some level, and he's educated. How long have you been with? Thirty-two years. I started on my twenty-first birthday at PK, and I'm fifty-three today. So do the math. That, that's awesome. That's amazing. What an amazing journey story. So what what does your next 10 years look like now? Have you thought about that? Were you went here 10 years ago? Yes. Uh, my 10 years look like I will do what TK did with me. I will bring on somebody. And I think I have that somebody that's going to own part of TK. It might be one or two people in my office that become my partner. And they will become the Oralia okay. in TK's life. They're the next generation. They're yeah. the next generation. That's so cool. I think, I think TK, I will always honor TK. TK will always be Century 21 TK. Mm-hmm. I will, a lot of people have asked, are you going to change the name? No, I said no. Mm-hmm. TK will always be TK. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And do you have kids? I do. Are they in the business or not in the business? So they're not in the business yet because I wanted them. <laughs> okay. I, they've been interested. Somewhat, two of them have been somewhat interested. But my eldest is um, manages uh, a dental hospital for in, huge implants, you know, uh, face surgeries, and. He's very good. It's my intellect, I tell him. He's great at what he does, and he's very content with it. Uh, I think he's somewhat interested in getting his feet wet with real estate, and sometimes when he sees me a little overwhelmed, he says, Mom, you know, I'm thinking about maybe getting my license to kind of help. But I wanted him to go off his way, be his career, and be his soul. I didn't want to influence him and make him become me. Alex, my middle one, is a finance major. And he works for U.S. Bank as a financial analyst. Uh, he's like the realist. And he has his real estate license. Okay. And he's the one that covers me when I'm on vacation or when he'll take care of my clients or do a showing for me to open a door for a closing without leaving focus on his main thing, the, the financial analyst. How old was he? He was 33. Alex is 30, and my youngest is 25. My youngest is a teacher. Okay. She teaches in a private school, and she teaches Spanish. It's a, a Spanish emerging school. Oh, yeah. All of it. Yes. And all of it, it's in Spanish, right? That is their, uh, their mission or their logo is that you're, we will make your child fluent in Spanish in two years. And, I need that. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. That is, I think, my next, where my focus goes. 
there, I think Christina will open her Spanish immersion school in the next 10 years. Her all. And you'll help her with finance. <laughs> finance. Oh, that's so cool. That's I think cool. I've helped her finance. said it. I think that that's her legacy. I think that that's that's her passion, and she's very good at what she does. She's only been doing it for two years, and she's already the owner's right hand. And Pilar knows it. You know, we this is no secret. Uh, Pilar told her that she doesn't see Christy as competition. Christy has been upfront with her and uh, told her that my. I will learn as much as I can. I'll help you as much as I can, and then I will follow your footsteps. And at one point, my goal will be to open my own school. This is where the nursery, the daycare, yeah, all that is where you know, comes in in our lap. And I have a very good relationship with Santa, and Santa's ready to do this with us. And I say, look, I have no idea about management, managing a school or anything. So she says, look. We're going to do it together. I bring the management to it. Your daughter brings the curriculum. And you bring the business to it. So we're a good team. I think this is where this is going with Christy. With Adriel, I like to get him a little more involved in managing the properties and uh, having them build their own portfolio. If I, I've said it many times, if I give him the fish and not teach him how to fish, I don't know that they... No, they, yeah, they, it's so interesting because, you know, I, I think our daughter, who's uh, 19, or she'll be 19 coming up, she um, she saw how much mom and dad worked, and she was like, I want to do something different. But I think now she's seeing the benefits of that work over the last 20 years, and... You know, it'll be interesting to see where her mind is 10 years now, right? But I know that this is her discovery to figure out where does she fit in the in the ecosystem of the world. Yeah. And you got to let them do that. Yeah. you got to let them do that. Um, okay, so what advice, I'm just curious, would you give somebody who wants to follow a similar path to the plan that you've set? I call this the income, by the way, right? Where you take this ending cut and then you start slipping the income so that it becomes passive. And I've learned, I love the, the level, right? Like, hey, level one was make sure that your passive income pays for your mortgage before you decide to go splurge on a bigger house, right? That's God, what a great piece of advice. Are there any other levels, you know, or have you thought about that? How to teach somebody? So, I think that we need to educate them from the first visit, like I explained to you. And I think we start ground. We start with maybe somebody that's coming in to buy a condo. And then when they come back to me and say, Oralia, I've outgrown my condo. I need to go buy a salad and go buy a house. My mindset, it's instilled in me that I'm like, okay, why don't we have a midi first before I come and do the market analysis? And then we strategically plan. We make a, a three, a five, a 10 year goal plan and on our first visit. And then I read this and I say, what if we don't sell the condo? Let's look at the condo regulations. Are we able to rent this condo? And will this condo be self-sufficient at the beginning? And then do you have enough money to go buy a single family home? Or is this condo 
going to give you residual income already. Are the rents bigger than your mortgage? And are you able to leave the condo for rental property and start with a small single family home? Where are you? So we need to explore this. I think I would love to be able to somehow train my 20 agents, 25 agents, 30 agents to always invest from the ground up, have that philosophy so that we can impact not just the people that come, that come to Araya, not just the people that come to Reggie, but the people that ever interact with TK and with the world, right? Mm -hmm. If we all imagine the wealth that we would create if the Rods and the Oralias and all the other agents in NARA are doing the same philosophy in our training in their own lives. We have to be able to do it for ourselves sure, first, first before we can teach it. 100%. You agree? Yeah. This, it's easier to, to explain. And I am, I am very honest with them. I don't intimidate them by telling them that now I have 20,000 mm -hmm. or 25,000 residual income every month. You know, I, I start you know, from the ground up and I tell them about my first four unit in the jungle and how that helped me pay for my mortgage mm -hmm. and start that way. So I would love to be able to say that the TK's legacy, that's what I call it. Mm -hmm. The TK's legacy carries on. It branches off in lots of different areas. Okay. So the mental leap, let's talk about the mental leap that you made in your mind, because there was a, there, there's a point where you could have just been satisfied with your, you know, your units that you had. And then at some point you said, I need to make this mental leap or maybe it just happened more automatically like what what gave you the confidence to be able to go from a 30 mil a three million to all three point did you ever did you ever become a partner in a bigger project? yeah so we've become partners in the project and i i became partner of a big project in mexico that's my biggest effect mm. um but i think you it just happened i think you grow it mentally because you see the numbers you just when you sit down and you, that, I think that chip changed in my brain when I saw that the same 500,000 that took me to buy a 3 million. Let's say I come to you now, Rob, and I say, Rob, oh, there's a $20 million the shopping center, capping at 7%. Yes, there are risks involved. What if we have big, let's limit the risk. Instead of just, Four of us buying that twenty million. Let's make it eight of us. Eight of us, or let's make it eight of us and come down with a bigger down game, so that we are now not cash flowing at a six or eight percent, but we're cash flowing at a nine or eleven. Even if we have ten percent vacancy, fifteen percent vacancy, we're still going to break even. Even if we have twenty percent vacancy, we're still going to break even, so that we limit the risk. So I think once you start analyzing things at that level. And min minimizing the, the risk, your mindset changes because now the risk on you. Right. Which is so interesting because when you start going and buying bigger assets, you're creating more equity in that process. Right. Yes. And you're and you're shifting the risk. Um uh, <laughs> spreading the risk, not shifting the risk, spreading the risk. Yes. Right? Yes. Not only are you spreading the risk. You're also helping people develop. You know, it never. What, what some someone asked me is like, do you see these partners as clients? And I said no. It, the client aspect of it happens organically. 
you can't look at a person and think, I'm going to make money off of them. You've got to think, how am I going to help them acquire wealth? How am I going to help them become homeowners? The motive cannot be the finance. Sure. It could be the, it's the consequence of your actions. And once you have that mindset, things kind of fall in place organically. They really do. I always tell my agents, do it for the best interest of the client. The rest will pay you back. Will take care of itself. The, the rest will take care of itself. It really does. And I think when you organically think that way, it just, things happen. Let's end on this. Tell me about this project that you have in Mexico. You said that's a big project, right? Yes, that's a big project. How long have you been, how did you get involved in that project? In 2008, when they moved my cheese, um, I decided that I needed to do something, right? Real estate was horrible in the United States, and I was struggling, and I, for some reason, I was not able to tap up with the REO. I did some short sales, but the REOs were, we didn't have them in our office. So gradually, my husband said, I'm going to focus on short sales and REOs. And he became the short scenario expert. And I took my CITF presentation and started getting my feet wet. My first listing was in uh, Al Capo in uh, Costa Rica. Oh, it's, uh, the CIP. Uh, designation is what? Certified International Property Specialist. Okay, so yes. your first deal was in Costa Rica. Yes, it did it. My first listing was in Costa Rica. My sister's a Oh, no, I didn't. Yes, yes. So my first listing, it, it didn't sell. My first listing was in Costa Rica and it was an $11 million parcel in the uh, southern part of Costa Rica in Capo. But that, that opened up whole new horizon me because it kept me motivated. It kept me energized. Mm-hmm. It, 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 saw, it made real estate without borders for me. Yes, Reggie was focusing and carrying the office and, and you know, holding, managing the real estate property. And it gave me that opportunity to go branch out into other horizons. That's awesome. So that's what I did. And I think it's destiny or grace or gift or, I don't know, somehow life aligns these people with the same mindset and in your life and I found a human being that I admire just as much as I admire TK um, in a project in Mexico. He's a very successful developer and uh, he's an engineer by trade and he was starting with a vision of uh, developing Sustainable. Now we're talking about toy. Mm-hmm. Where sustainable was not that not sure. You know, sustainable, uh, eco-friendly development in um, the peninsula. They call it Isla de la Piedra. It's actually a peninsula in Mexico, and it's uh, 14 miles of uninterrupted beach, 136 hectares of undeveloped virgin land. It's Gorgeous the way it is. I'm a learner with the Brazilian architect that did the master plan. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I'm a learner is, um, was recognized. He's, he died a few months back, a few months ago, but uh, I'm a learner is the Brazilian architect that was recognized by the United Nations as the 
number one architect that humanity has given us. Wow. He was the um, governor of Paraná and uh, president of Curitiba. And he, he did a lot of um, infrastructure rezoning and creating systems that uh, cleaned the waters of Curitiba. He did a lot for eco-friendly development. He's done massive plans all over the world, in Africa. He did some in Punta Cana. And it just happened that this development that I was introduced to for me to market in the States and help train the, uh, the agents in Mexico. That's, that was my, I was going to be the uh, director of sales. That, that was my position in tool eight. And it was, um, I was introduced to all of them. And again, I think a lot of people ask me, have you made a lot of money in, in the international? I'd say I have made more money than anywhere else. Say, really, you didn't have and I said no. But what they've given me is price. You cannot put a price to the knowledge that I gave you. The currents of the wind, the duels, the current the Yeah, you've become valuable. It's actually an important lesson, I think, for people to understand that that when I look at kind of the trajectory of, of, of what's happened over the last thirty years with TK was that you valued knowledge above all else. It wasn't about making money. It was about the knowledge that you could gain from something like TK. And the money is just a byproduct of that knowledge. You then hide it, right? Because you need to apply knowledge for it that actually work. But people often over, like they underestimate the value of just having a discussion like we're having today, a cup of coffee with somebody, just opens up your mind. It's one of the reasons why we launched Grid Talk, right? This Grid Investor Podcast, because relationships and discussions and just overall conversations with the right person changes the trajectory of their life. And so, what I hear you saying is that you've become valuable and you genuinely become interested in this. Right, and you don't know how it's going to end up ten years from now, fifteen years from now. But one, you're having fun. Yeah, like you're having. Yeah. Fun. Oh, I love it. Uh, two, you probably get access to very interesting people that help you grow as a person. Look, you're talking about having lunch. I've had I had dinner with a couple of times with Lerner, with Jamie Lerner. I've been in his office in in Brazil. I sat with his architect. I, I've seen how they developed the master plan. He's explained to me a whole bunch of systems that I would have never had access to if I didn't involve my Yeah. And that, to me, is a whole level of yeah. life. It's a whole other level. It's a whole different level of life. Yeah. It's, it, it, just, it, means not, it has nothing to do with money. It's, I am ever grateful for that opportunity. I am ever grateful to have been able to shake hands with him and for him to make the joke and say that the next international board in Mexico should be called Bordoralia. You know, <laughs> awesome. you know that, how do you put a price tag to that? Well, Oralia, thank you so much for sharing on this today. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. I love to hear your story. I'm just as impressed about you and who you are as a whole. So now you've known know more than you ever thought about myself, <laughs> but we must have this one where you tell me your story. Okay.
Fair enough. Promise? Promise. Okay. Gracias. Okay.